still not ready to say that we're good enough to, to win the SEC, but it certainly looks like we are the class of the East, and it looks like we have free round of the corner and everybody else is still behind us. 31 to 3, just as us Georgia fans predicted, right? <laughs> yes, no, maybe. Those are all correct answers. The three of us on this podcast were all confident that the dogs, our dogs, not theirs, would win, but there was a twinge of trepidation in our predictions, rightfully so. In Georgia's one contest versus a legitimate opponent, that being Notre Dame, the offense looked a little bit shaky, and despite dominating in most statistical categories, the game was not settled until the very end. And Mississippi State had rolled into Athens with the SEC's number one scoring offense and defense to boot, and had just vanquished LSU the week before 37-7. to Not this week. Georgia dominated Mississippi State in all phases of the game, and immediately put the rest of the conference and the nation on notice that the 2017 Georgia Bulldogs were going to be a team to be reckoned with. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and you are listening to episode 101 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. On this episode, my co-hosts, Will Leach and Tony Waller, recap all that was right with Georgia's game plan versus Dan Mullen's Mississippi State Bulldogs. 4-0 going into another important game versus the Vols up in Knoxville this Saturday. We will cover that one in depth later this week. So we're going to get started on this one. Here's Will to kick us off. All right, hello. We are in our post game of Mississippi State's 31-3 loss to Georgia. If I had heard that this was going to be the game in which the second best team in the SEC West showed how much superior that was to how superior that, that side of the division was to the SEC East. I'm Will Leach. I'm only here with Tony. Scott is doing something on what's the app he does? Uh, he, he told us to promote something on Pocket oh, yeah, App. He did, yeah, he did an anchor, uh, anchor little anchor podcast. Yes. Was it last night or earlier? I saw it uh, posted. So. Yeah. Yes. Wow, that was fun. Wasn't that it? was super fun, man. That was, I have to say, of all the possibilities for this game, and listen, we've been accused of being sunshine pumpers on this podcast. Uh, I, I, I'm starting to feel like we're using that phrase too often. As a matter of fact, it's starting to disturb people. Uh, but I would say that uh, that game exceeded anyone's most optimistic hopes, frankly, in pretty much every single aspect of the game. When we sat down and talked about this, I originally saw it as a three-point game. Then I think I came out with a seven-point game. I just could not have possibly fathomed us keeping them from scoring a touchdown. I just and and you know I just posted something to the George Sports blog. Yes, that's still a thing. Um, I think my favorite series was that last series where we kept them out of the end zone and we were just playing for pride. But that's what teams that are poised to go places do. I mean, they don't. That, that had zero bearing on outcome of the game. It was a nice tackle ball account there to keep the receiver out of the end zone on a very nicely thrown ball by Fitzgerald. I mean, I'm sorry, Fitzgerald. There, uh, okay. Kai, yeah, whoever it was, the backup quarterback, he did a great job of keeping the guy out of the end zone. And they ran two plays inside 20 seconds with no timeouts to try to, to, to score. And we just – we said, no, we're not going <laughs> to do it. And that was – you know – I sat down and looked at the stats, and it's a 31-3 game. The game, really, after we kept them from scoring there at the end of the first half, really wasn't in doubt. But, you know, there's still still things to work on. We scored 10 points off turnovers. You can't count on turnovers. But even if it had been 21-3, I don't think that changed the narrative of what we saw last night, which was a suffocating defense, really, really sound, confident 
on both sides of the line. And let's give our offensive line credit. They did a pretty good job against a, a very tough defensive line. And then we can talk about Jim Chaney a little bit and about how stagnant they've looked. It's pretty easy to see, at least for the past three games up until this game, that was really a project of keeping Jake Fromm out of trouble. Yeah, I have to say, a lot of people had great games, and a lot of people assuaged some fears that we might have had. But man, there's nobody did that more than Jim Cheney. I, I think there's no question for, you know, even with as happy as everyone was with the start, that was a concern. Uh, that was a concern in the Notre Dame game, frankly, of, uh, of how he was utilizing his backs, how he was utilizing his kind of play calling in general. I know it's a Georgia thing to complain about the play caller, but I think there were reasons to be concerned. But man, he was ready to go from the beginning, from the very first play. Yeah, I am a sucker for flea flickers. I love me oh, a good yes. Lee Flicker to have that start from the first play of the game, I think showed very quickly he was not messing around. He felt like he had something himself to kind of prove this game. And really, you know, think about how quickly they took the 14-0 lead in this game. Very little of which had to do with Nick Chubb. Very little of which had to do with Sony Michelle. Certainly he used that. Uh, the only time he touched the ball that time was to flip it back to Fromm. Uh, being able to use him successfully as a decoy while still later in the game getting him to, to run for the two touchdowns and have for have all the success he had. It's funny, we've been worried about him for more than a year now uh, with Cheney, but this really felt like a nearly perfectly called game, particularly from the from, from the first start. Yeah, that flea flicker was inspired. Um, there was some, some statistics posted last week around about how we had not thrown out of uh, out of the out of uh, the standard uh, standard formation with Fromm under center yet this season, and I. I don't know if I was mentioned to you or if I mentioned Hellgate yesterday, but one of the things I thought about is, okay, we're going to see some of that. It'd just be really interesting to see how they do it. I had to think play action. And when they hand the ball off to Chubb, I'm like, okay, well, that's that makes a lot of sense. We're going to test their middle. And then he turned around and flipped the ball back. I started slapping. Kristen was sitting in front of me uh, because our seats are, are, are back-to-back. I started slapping her back. I was like, oh, this is great. This is great <laughs> because I, I knew what was about to happen. Um, but I have to say the better executed play was the fake toss sweep with the touchdown pass to Nauta. That was just, it was really smart play calling. But Mississippi State point where they were just like, they had no idea what was coming. And, you know, that at that point, Cheney really was three steps ahead of, of uh, Mississippi State's defensive coordinator. Some guy, I don't remember. I don't um, remember. I remember. I remember. He, uh, it, perhaps, I'm just throwing, throwing this out there. Maybe you should go back to his white towel. You know, overall, special teams, offensively, defensively, coaching, game prep, we came to play, and we're not afraid to do the things that we thought it would thought we could do. And I, you know, hey, this is another to me. It's another little gold start on that uh, start on that chart. And you know, we go back to our very first episode of the season. We talked about wanting to see Smart and his staff progress as a coaching staff. You know, win at home after an off season against a, a good team. Uh, we'll, we still don't know really how good App State is, but you know, they certainly looked apart. And then you know. We lose our starting quarterback after the second drive. Uh, check. Go on the road, a national a national game, big hype game, win. Check. Come home and take care of a patty cake. Check. Come out uh, a game where – against a team that kept, was riding high in the West and kind of dispel the notion that, they, that at least for one team, the East can't handle the West. Check. Uh, and we'll get into Tennessee later this week, but we have another test this week. Uh, but, man, I left there last night. And I don't know how to I don't know how to process this emotion. Well, I mean, you're relatively new to this, but it's it's been a long time since I've felt like this is a team that stuff. I'm still not ready to say that we're good enough to to win the SEC, 
But it certainly looks like we are the class of the East, and it looks like we have rerounded the corner and everybody else is still behind us. Yeah, and I think that, that that's a, a conversation we can have down the line, too, particularly coming to the Tennessee game, though I won't be there for that podcast, but <laughs> that little production meeting on the air. Uh, one thing we should definitely talk about, though, that we kind of touched on there, let's talk about that quarterback. Let's talk about that quarterback, and let's talk about how, you know, I have been a proponent of the, listen, from clearly a leader, clearly of a I, I confess, I'm one of the things I feel like I sometimes an advantage, sometimes a disadvantage of when I talk about Georgia football is I have no inherent, like I don't like think, oh wow, I think it'd be really fun for Fran to be the quarterback because he's from Georgia and Easton's from Washington because right. I don't care, like right. I don't care, I, I, I I'm here to see this team win. I know there's a certain part of the fan base that likes that he's he's a, lo- a more local guy. Certainly Aaron Murray with his mini me <laughs> uh, tr- uh, kind of a Snapchat thing that he did uh, from the sidelines uh, of From. I think there's an element of that too. Clearly, there's a people want From to succeed, whereas Easton has been people have been more skeptical of him. I've still kind of been of the idea Easton's got the bigger arm. He had a good year last year. You want to see him progress. You have to just kind of take care. Uh, the goal for Fromm is to hang in there until Easton comes back. The, I don't know if I feel that way now. Or at least at the very least, I think it's closer. I would have thought going into this game, even if they won, uh, this is still Easton's job. Fromm obviously was perfect for the first half. But to me, not only was he perfect for the first half, but really... You know, he did everything, you know, even the two incompletions, one was a drop, uh, and, uh, his first two incompletions were a drop. That throw to Nauta was dead on. I don't know anything that Fromm did that I wasn't impressed by in a way that for the first time I thought, ooh, does Eason make that play? That's the first time I've had that thought. He was terrific. Yeah. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Fromm. And I'm not willing to engage in the whole quarterback controversy thing. We had some uh, – later in our tailgate, Will, we had some folks from Warner Robins there. And they're like, oh, we're from people, you know, Warner Robins, blah, blah, blah. And look, I, I love Jake Fromm. I love what he's done. Um, and I, I love Jacob Eason, and I love what he's done. I don't think coaches look at this of what Fromm did made it harder or easier or whatever. But I will tell you for the first time in four years, five years – I trust the coaching staff, whatever decision they make. And that's a very weird place for me to be. (laughs) Uh, You know, we, because we have seen at least in four games that they're making all the right decisions. You know, we could go to Tennessee and whomever they start. uh, If, if Easton's ready, I'm not hundred percent certain he will be, but if Easton's ready, you know, they can make a decision and turn out terribly. Um, Again, we'll talk about Tennessee later. What's the last time we played LSU at home? Uh, not the last time uh, we blew out Nick Saban's LSU team for you know, 46 to something, uh, and then went on the road and just got, you know, manhandled by Tennessee. And the fact of the matter is, is that I stand by my assessment. I trust whatever the coach coach's decision made they make. And that's again, a really weird place for me to be. Yeah, particularly because the worry coming into this year, as we talked about in our season preview podcast, was the coaching staff. Not that they weren't smart and not that they couldn't figure this out, but, you know, I mean, remember we talked about how 
there were there were rumblings like Spencer Hall's making fun of Kirby Smart and and with the media stuff, how much the harder it makes on yourself because he hadn't shown it yet and the staff hadn't shown it yet. Again, long way to go. You're right. There's another test this week, but every single thing, just like you talked about, that I've every test I've wanted in the past, every checkpoint I've wanted to see checked, they've done it with flying colors. And you're right. I personally think that I don't. I, I, I my response to who should be the quarterback when he's in healthy is. You know what? I tar- they, they know what they're doing. And that's a, that's an exciting yeah. thing to be able to say. And I think it's a direct result of what we, what we've seen pretty much this, this entire, uh, this entire season so far. Boy, Will, I think we'd be remiss in not talking about Rodrigo Blankenship. Yeah, right? Rodrigo. Oh my gosh, my favorite play. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the thing, I might go buy some, uh, I might go some sports, sports specs. I might just buy some of those just to wear. Uh, but still but, leave your helmet on. Still leave your helmet on. Even if you're going to do that, you have to leave your helmet yeah, on. Yeah, that's kind of my gig. That's my gig. Um, so, you know, looking at what Blankenship has done, uh, especially with how much stronger, how much more confidence he kicks kickoffs, that field goal was so – I mean, it could not have been more in the middle. And I, I was um, – the whole time I'm thinking, it's like, oh, don't make, don't make Blankenship kick a field goal here, you know. And they've gone for it on fourth a couple times, but I'm thinking, you know, don't make Blankenship kick a field goal here. If he misses it, we'll be in his head. And it was probably his best struck field goal all season. It was just like, <laughs> it was like a day at the office. And you know, and Nizlek once again booming punts. I think he had his quote unquote bad punt was a 38 yarder. That the only reason it was bad is it was angled to the sideline and bounced out immediately. I think it bounced up into the stands off the sideline. Overall, it was just a really beautiful special teams day. Great offensive day, great defensive day. Um, earlier in the day, I, I, I'm still waiting to see Bill Connolly's numbers. It's going to be really weird for me to see S&P Plus come out and Georgia perform 70-plus percent in all phases of the game because we've done – we've had – I think all of our defensive uh, games have been up above 70%. I think – uh, but even the Samford game offensively, we weren't quite above 70%. And, you know, that's, that's good. That's a, we, you know, that is a sign of a team that is really starting to, starting to pull it together. We're still a long way from being the, um, being in the place where I think all of us would like to be, but the, the signs look so much better than they have certainly since the early part of, since the seventh game of 2012. Yeah. One last thing about Blankenship, I think that speaks well again to the coaching staff. You know, think about the, you know, they, there was clearly a, for as well as Blankenship, uh, did last year and all the stuff with his dad and all the stuff with the scholarship and all the stuff with the dude coming in next year, uh, to kind of come in to, uh, to push competition. Blankenship is a better kicker than he was last year. He has been pushed and he has responded in a way that again, that's another example of it kind of looks like the coaching staff might know what it's doing a little yeah, bit. It, so it may well. And let me tell you something. Uh, and one last thing about talking about calling out individual players. I don't know that there is not a um, a better pickup in the 2016 class than J.R. Reed. He was all over the place. And DeAndre Baker had a game. That interception was just gorgeous, beautifully done. But I just don't. I just don't. I mean, he was everywhere. He was making tackles. He was making plays. And then, you know, our offensive line looked really good. Jeffrey Simmons had four tackles. This is a guy that wrecked house against LSU. LSU had their moments against uh, Syracuse, but still, he just wrecked house. And we kept him in check. And so now we go to uh, – it's funny how quickly this, uh, this has turned into – 
Last week, after the LSU win for Mississippi State, the thing was, so it looks like Mississippi State's clearly the second-best team uh, in, in the SEC West. Now they, we are clearly full-on, full-bore, and this is the only team in the SEC that can challenge Alabama, which is Georgia. Now, as exciting as that is to see, as exciting as to see Georgia with a single digit in front of their number, in front of their name in the AP poll, number seven uh, in the poll this week, which is crazy. <laughs> I think that is as high as they have been since I have lived in Athens. I do not believe they've been higher that, uh, since I've gotten here. Uh, to see them that high and to see the struggles of Florida this week, barely winning Kentucky. Poor Kentucky, by the way. Oh, man. Right. Um, <laughs> and and, uh, and see Tennessee barely beating UMass. Not only a not good UMass, an 0 and 4 UMass. <laughs> like a, uh, even a winless in the context of UMass. UMass. The uh, and Vanderbilt, of course, well, obviously. In, what happened to them? Keep in mind, UMass has the same SEC record that um, Missouri does. So that's true. And they have as many wins as Florida State. It's also worth noting that as well. Oh. <laughs> but uh, Matthew Leach is going to be very mad. You're going to be you're getting a hate text from Matthew Leach. <laughs> yes. uh, but for me, this is you know I think it's clear more than ever that that you know that's now the narrative is okay. Not only is this team the best team in the SEC East, is this is the second best team in the SEC. That's what people want to see. That's what people are. All, uh, that's clearly the message that they've sent. It's worth noting for all the struggles with Florida had and all the struggles Tennessee had, they still have not played Florida. They still have not played Tennessee. They still have not played Auburn. They, they are 1-0 in the SEC. And I think there is this sense. I actually, I actually had got a text uh, from my wife uh, saying, so should I keep December 3rd open? <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> I, and I understand that. I get it. I That's not something I've thought at any other point since uh, we have uh, 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 since this has been going on. Georgia has not won the SEC East since we moved here. I understand that idea. There is still a very long way to go. But Definitely, it's very exciting. Yeah, and I I want to make sure that everyone understands. I have by no means decided that we're going to win the East. Um, I'm still too damaged from the past few years to think that we can't go somewhere and just completely, you know, crap the bed. Um, but this doesn't look like the kind of team that's going to do that. You know, and I'll probably predict another three point win against Tennessee, uh, just because that's that's good for my own mental health. But it's hard to say that. When you look at the performances of uh, each of the last four games, that we didn't do the things that we didn't do what we had hoped to see, right? Um, this was beyond the best case scenario. This game was beyond the best case scenario of any game I could have thought of. I mean, you know, best case scenario to me to App State was to to win handily to get some third stringers in. We did that. The best case scenario, frankly, was a win barely because I thought they were going to lose. Um, well, we won by one point. The best case scenario against Samford was uh, take care of business, you know, try to make sure no one gets hurt again. Uh, but look, look like we are we were handling a team we should handle and not nickel state this thing up. Check. You know, my, to me, the best case scenario was a ten point win and never the game really never feeling in doubt. I, again, in my wildest imagination, did I not? Did I? I had no concept of us not only holding Mississippi State to three points but also just physically dominating another SEC team in a way, frankly, we haven't done in a long time. You mentioned, we'll kind of close with this. You mentioned that you've been damaged enough 
by everything that's happened the last few years that you're wary, even though I think the evidence that we've seen shows that certainly Georgia should be very heavily favored against the Tennessee and against the Florida and against the Vanderbilt at this point. We're all still kind of protecting ourselves against that kind of bad loss. I'll put it this way. The way this team is coached and the way that this team is playing and the way that they have looked so far – if they do end up blowing an easy game, uh, I is more is the first time I'll think, well, maybe there is just a Georgia thing. And rather than because right now this coaching staff looks like they've got it together. If they do blow a game and they do lose in a way that's very frustrating, uh, I may actually believe there's some sort of curse because this team does it. Not only does this team look good and look solid, they look prepared and they look like a team that's just not. They look like, like, they look like a team. Again, I know we're not supposed to say this, but they look a little like an Alabama type of team. They look like a team that is prepared and ready and not the type of team that would have that sort of emotional letdown. But again, it's very early, a long way to go. But yeah, this is very exciting. Hey, let's be honest. I'll take eight more one point wins. I mean, it won't be good for my heart, but I'll take them. Uh, but. It's hard to argue with the premise. It really is. I don't. I don't like it. And then this is actually a pretty good test to see what the coaching staff's going to do to keep this uh, this team's head, uh, you know, their heads on straight to make sure they don't read their press. Because I think you probably saw some of that with Mississippi State. Uh, they looked, yeah. especially after the second touchdown. They just look okay. This is not what the narrative. This is this is not the playbook we were handed. Yeah. Uh, if we go into Tennessee and and just play competently. Uh, play and play well because there is a clear dichotomy between how that team is coached and how our team is coached. Yeah, and you did feel bad for Nick Fitzgerald, who's a likable guy and certainly played well, looked very excited against LSU, but he just couldn't get anything going against Georgia. And again, that is a very very good sign. All right, Tony. So I'm going to miss the show. I'm in Philadelphia. I was at the uh, I was at that very exciting Eagles. A Giants game with that 61-yard field goal, not ro- the the downright Rodrigo-esque 61-yard <laughs> field goal to uh, to end that game. So I'm in Philadelphia uh, doing some stuff for Sports Night this week, so I won't be back. But I'll be back to, for our regular shows uh, starting next week until the World Series. I can't wait to get in a room, drink some bourbon, and talk Georgia football with this guy, with you guys because I I can't think of a time uh, I've been more excited with what's going on right now. It's been a fun four weeks. I hope it continues to be that way. All right. Uh, okay. Until uh, next week, Scott will be back with you uh, later on this week. I won't be. I'm, I will be out of game, so I won't be able to call in this week. But uh, we'll be back next week for a post game from Tennessee. But mostly, man, go dogs. Go dogs. And thanks so much for listening. As Will mentioned, he will not be with Tony and me for the Tennessee preview show later this week. Instead, he will be stuck in Philadelphia. I'm not sure if that's by his choice or by his company's. Probably Sports on Earth requiring him to do that. In the meantime, feel free to get interactive with our show leading up to the Dogs versus the Vols preview episode. You can tweet at us on Twitter. Our handle is at WSLS Podcast. You can also download the new Anchor app and hear us. Well, it's mainly me right now, but I'm going to get Will and Tony to jump on board very soon so they can provide their own updates. And since I knew I wouldn't be available for this post-game show, I recorded a five-minute Anchor update earlier today. So if you'd like to hear it, check it out. It's linked in the show notes page of this episode. We have received four new podcast reviews, and I promise to read them all on air like all the other ones that I've read. And very soon, I've been trying to wait for a time when the three of us are all together to share what y'all have written with Tony and Will. So keep sending them in on iTunes. They are greatly appreciated, and we will get to them very soon. So that'll do it for episode 101. I still can't believe we're in the triple digits for this podcast. But thanks again for tuning us in. Have a great start to your week, and we'll see you on campus very soon. Go dogs.